this week we are doing a deep dive into the missing <laughs> flight MH370. It happened in 2014, didn't it? There's lots of things that have happened, conspiracies and all these different things to talk about in this podcast. Um, we are going to deep dive into this sort of very mysterious topic. We don't really know what's happened, but this flight, lots of people on board. How are they dead? Are they on a different planet? Did they get consumed by a black hole? Let's crack on. I think deep dive is a very unfortunate way of wording it, considering <laughs> the plane very lightly plunged to the depths of the Indian Ocean. Well, uh, we don't know that. They could have gone off onto a different planet. You don't know that. But like you said, they could have been abducted by aliens. There's a possibility. We are going to discuss the variety of possibilities, and there's a lot of them. Dozens. It's ridiculous. I mean, there's new ones popping up every week. But this happened back in 2014. We'll do a quick sort of summary and overview. Uh, basically, a passenger flight uh, from Malaysia Airlines disappeared whilst flying from uh, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia to Beijing in China. Um, the last communication was like 38 minutes after the plane took off in the South China Sea. 227 passengers on board, 12 crew. These are all assumed dead, but obviously we don't know. And we're going to discuss the timeline of events uh, today, aren't we? Uh, would you want to kick us off from, you know, takeoff? Take us through it. Walk us through this takeoff. Now, I've had to do a deep dive myself into oh, the logistics. we not use that term now. The logistics. <laughs> I'm offended now. I find that I've way. had to do an alien abduction. No, <laughs> into uh, the way that plane radars work basically today it's been a crash course for me which is also it's also unfortunate oh, that's you know I mean? that can we not but basically every plane crash course can we not i didn't even mean it the best ones when you i didn't mean it either i didn't mean that's the thing i've not planned that that's just let's, so see, let's see how many insensitive puns we can get into this week's episode purely accidental Every plane, yeah, I suppose the crash was as well. Every plane well, has exactly. a transponder which sends pings out to a radar system, right? Mm-hmm. The last one of these was transponded, which I believe is the correct verb, 38 minutes after takeoff, as you rightfully said. But the plane was tracked for an hour after that by the Malaysian Air Force. Now, every plane is built with a backup reporting system. Now, this was turned off around 20 to 30 minutes later. Oh, so it was turned off by the pilot. So it was turned off by a pilot or the people that believe that the plane was hijacked believe that the hijacker may have turned this off purposefully. But cutting off this ACARS requires strategic kind of know-how in how to do this because only a trained professional would know how to do this it opens up this sort of narrow um i guess alleyway of, of possibilities really doesn't it where it's like well we know that this was turned off so already it sort of feels like it narrows it down into this sort of uh idea that it might well have been the pilots or somebody mm-hmm. on board that with some expertise that's probably involved here i think interestingly um the final communications with the plane uh was somebody that said good night mh 370 uh which yeah. is obviously quite a uh you know given the fact that they disappeared quite a sort of yeah. um, weird final words in, in the context of it. Yeah, I saw this and I, I I looked into this in detail as well because you would think that that's quite ominous and, you know, somebody, mm. an air traffic controller wishing good night to a pilot. But that's actually common practice in, you know, radio uh, pilot, radio operatives and pilots have a lot of slang, basically. And good night is a term used for when a pilot, even during the daytime, by the way, is leaving your airspace that you're responsible for as an air traffic controller into another 
area of airspace. So basically, the air traffic controller said that as they were leaving, I think it was, they were leaving Malaysian airspace, entering Vietnamese airspace. The Malaysian air traffic controller said goodnight, but that's fairly common practice as you transfer across those boundaries. If that it's, makes it's, sense. In, it's interesting that that's common practice. I'd be worried that it'd make the pilot sleepy. Do you know what I mean? If you go goodnight, <laughs> like some people are queued for that, aren't you? Like, you don't want to be saying that to the pilot. You know, stay <laughs> alert, please, is what I'd say. It evokes images of counting sheep and hot chocolate yeah, and do you mean? Like, bed marshmallows, doesn't it? It yeah. sounds like something a hypnotist would say, like, good night, do you know what I mean? Sleep. Like, do you know what I mean? You don't want to say that to a pilot when they're in control <laughs> of a big plane, do you? I think that's what they do say, is it like you're in the room, you're back in the room, and I'm like, yeah. you know, as a hypnotist is actually trying to send a pilot to sleep. But they say that even during the day, which is fairly silly. Conspiracy theorists jumped on that, but it's common practice, it has to be said. So yeah, no- I thought it sounded like it might have been common practice. Uh, it's an interesting terminology. But that, I mean, it opens up another conspiracy theorist. Could it have been a hypnotist and air traffic <laughs> control that caused the crash? This opens up another conspiracy. This is what I mean. You can go so it's many probably, avenues. Your conspiracy there is probably one of the more plausible ones I've seen surrounding in terms of aliens and FBI hijacking and uh, a black hole. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch as well. Yeah, Rupert Murdoch did it, is what I'm hearing. He did it, allegedly. So after they took off, like like we said, they took off 38 minutes in the air, whatever. And then at some point along the line, they begin this sort of, uh, they they turn very sharply uh, west, Mm -hmm. I think it was, from the original route planned. Now, it took 18 minutes for air traffic control or whoever was watching the radars to realise this and be like, oh, Yeah. yeah. They've got off course of it there, haven't they? It's taken them 18 minutes. So I just imagine there's someone there with like a mug of coffee, like a biscuit or whatever, maybe a Twix or something, just sort of not really focusing, looking out the window. And then he looks over to his radar. He's like, oh, oh it's, gone, it's gone a bit off course. It's taken a very sharp west turn yeah. and almost to like go back on itself kind of thing. Yeah, now, yeah. that's very unusual. That wasn't picked up sooner. And you're wondering, yeah. you know, are they sleeping or what, what's going on here? Yeah, it was quite funny that, funny in a horrific sense, that um, it took the, the Thai authorities picked up on this at the time, but it took the Thai military 11 days after the incident, shall we name it that, to come forward and say, yeah, we spotted that the Malaysian Airlines jet was flying, of course, but we didn't share the information with anybody because it wasn't in Thai airspace and it wasn't an immediate threat to Thailand. We're not concealing information. We just want to share that with everybody. But it took them 11 days to come out and say, yeah, we noticed that. That was a bit weird, wasn't it? You know, that plane that, that went missing and has been missing for 11 days. Well, we noticed that at the time, but we, we didn't say anything because it didn't really concern us. Sols, I reckon that, that was on the email. <laughs> Sols from Thailand. Something I like don't, that. <laughs> it did absolutely nothing for uh, Thai-Malaysian relations. But there was a lot of that going on, though, in this situation. Like We know with Malaysia as well, they were trying to cover up certain bits and like they covered up the fact that the military had picked it up on the radar as well. And they decided not to tell the search teams that the places they were searching, it couldn't have possibly gone down there because they had radar which suggested it had gone in this location, this direction. They just decided not to bother telling the search teams. That's not a good look, is it? What it smacks of is, you know, when you'd be sitting in class at school and you'd notice somebody's copying your answers to your test, so you cover it up. That's what they're doing here with this in the sense that all these different countries have this different intel on what's happened to this jet, where it could be, what's happened to it. But they don't want to share it with the broader world community because they don't want other intel communities of other countries knowing their capabilities. So Malaysia mm. is sitting there, they're like, so we've got this info and it'd be better if we could all pull this info, you know, the Indonesian authorities, the Thai authorities, the UK, the US, the French authorities, we should pull this radar information together to accurately kind of discern where in the Indian Ocean this jet may be. But nobody's wanting to do it because they go, well, if we pull our, our kind of data, uh, 
radar data, you're going to know what we know and crucially the limitations of our radar systems. And I think it gets to the point where, so a lot of the victims were Chinese and the Chinese families in particular, I remember this on the news, people crying at the lack of progress being made because obviously this Jack goes People have disappeared in all fairness. You can understand the tears. They've they've gone for months. (laughs) It goes off the radar. They start searching. There's absolutely no progress because nobody's wanting to cooperate. And so everybody starts crying. That's generally what happens when someone's lost, though, isn't it? That's that's generally... I mean, you can forgive them for that. I'm blaming the intelligence communities. I just think grow up. Mm. Grow up and cooperate is what I would have done. But hindsight's 2020. Don't don't lose the plane in the first place. That's that's a good shout, but you certainly didn't help things, did it? I mean, the Malaysian government uh, concluded that the plane crashed in uh, the uh, southern Indian Ocean was what their conclusion was. Mm. Now, again, it's one of those things... Are they saying that to just sort of be like, yeah, we've solved it, yeah, go away, whatever, blah, 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 that kind of thing? Or is that the actual you know situation that happened? It seems as though it probably went down in that rough area. I mean, the South Indian Ocean is pretty big. That's why they've not been able to find uh, much debris. Um, I think 120,000 kilometres of seafloor was surveyed uh, off the coast of Perth, and there was no aircraft debris at all in 120,000. That's, that's a lot of, of sea that's been checked. Uh, but obviously that area of the world hasn't really been, dis- they've not discovered a lot in that area. So it is quite difficult to operate in there and it is quite difficult to find stuff there because it's so vast. Mm-hmm. So you can sort of understand it, but they did try their best to to try and collect as much as possible. Um, although I think they did end up finding some debris, interestingly, off the coast of Africa. Uh, which is quite interesting. And the bulk of the aircraft obviously have never been found, but they did find some off Africa, which just shows how far that it sort of moved. Yeah, a couple of things there. I think first and foremost, the Malaysian government moved very, very fast in basically saying there's nothing to see here. Planes come down in the Indian Ocean. No conspiracy, no malpractice, just a, just an accident. A Malaysian prime minister was coming out saying this basically every day in the in the early days of the search. The incentive there being that immediately after, so there was this uh, disaster, and then there's the MH17 disaster, which where the plane was shot down. Malaysian Airlines plane was shot down over the Ukraine, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So quickly after these two disasters, the Malaysian government moved very quickly to nationalise or renationalise Malaysian Airlines. So it's previously privately owned. They moved very quickly to complete a government purchase of it, using the MH370 and MH17 disasters as a reasoning behind that. So they've got an incentive to say to move on, move past this, because they drew those plans very quickly they know that this is going to be government-owned airlines once again and it's you know quite frankly bad for business if people are banging on about missing planes you know it's going to be less likely to go to malaysian airlines fly i.e so the the incentive is there for the malaysian government to sweep this all under the carpet see i didn't realize that i thought they owned them beforehand and then afterward then after they were panicking trying to sweep it under the carpet so i mean i've not not got any research on it yeah. specifically but i did see something about their ownership of it it does sort of make sense that you have two crashes, the value of the company is going to plummet, so you buy it at its lowest point. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I think so they bought it the year after in, in 2015. And also on the point on the debris, so debris was found on the island of uh, the Union, of a French island. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the Grand Tour is in a special there, so that's the only reason I know where it is, basically, just off the coast of Madagascar and I thought yeah. upon reading this I'm thinking this is a flight from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing it's veered of course I'm reading up on it I was thinking why are they searching off the coast of Perth how many thousands of kilometers south of the intended destination is that that's miles so I thought something 
you know, maybe not adding up here, but then I saw, I think a researcher from the University of Western Australia said that the pieces of debris that washed up in Reunion, there's 20 pieces of debris, he's an expert in, um, can you believe it, uh, water currents, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is pretty niche. I know every researcher and every PhD student and every doctor and professor has a pretty niche kind of interest, but water currents really is that? I'm just so passionate about water currents, water Jeremy. Currents. I just bloody love the way it flows. When I see the water flowing. Interesting fact though, if you if you flush a toilet in the Southern Hemisphere, the water oh. goes down, is it anti-clockwise? And if you do it here in the Northern Hemisphere, the water goes down the toilet clockwise. Is that true? Right. That's a fun fact. We might need to get a fact check on that. But yeah. anyway, the water current expert from the University of Western Australia said that the debris washing up there in reunion from the suspected point of impact in the Indian Ocean, where the plane supposedly hit, all adds up. So Yeah, it does, it does seem to be the case um, that it is from that fly. So I think that's pretty much confirmed. They seem to find quite a lot of debris, actually, on there. There was somebody going around, like trying to buy off the locals and like find as much debris on those islands as possible. And they're actually quite successful with it using that data um, that they sort of thought, yeah, it's probably going to be around these sort of islands. Um, interestingly, uh, it seems as though the plane ran on autopilot uh, for hours um, before it ran out of fuel. So it had been set on autopilot by somebody by the sounds of it before eventually it came to a, a crash, we assume, a landing in the sea, whatever you want to call it, until mm. something happened. But it seems as though that was the case and that's sort of the official story behind it. What's interesting is that sharp turn that made them go heavily west. Um, that's a sharp turn that can only be deliberate. You can't accidentally do that. You know I mean, that's got to be somebody in control of the plane. So they need knowledge of how to fly a plane. You know, they need to be in the cockpit. Is narrowing it down to pretty much the pilots doing this of his own sort of volition. Is that a word? A cause? Yeah, volition. Yeah, volition. You've, you've hit the nail on that there. I think so too. I'm not sure whether the plane was obviously malfunctioning or something like that. And the pilot was trying to regain control of it, but that wouldn't explain why they were able to travel. I would say it's about, it's something like 4,000 kilometres south. So after they veered west and then they've ended up in the southern Indian Ocean off the coast of Australia, allegedly. That isn't reminiscent to me of a plane with a technical fault if it's flying 4,000 kilometres. And also, I think that in in the investigations that the FBI, because obviously, you know, they like to wade into these things, you know. Usually because they're involved from the offset, though. But anyway. Wow. JFK. They did that. Blood on on their hands there. But they started digging into the private life of the captain and found that a very similar flight had been flown on his flight simulator that he had at home. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's common for a pilot to, you know, in their spare time, fly planes in their bedroom or whatever. It but... is. I mean, I, I have a friend who used to have a flight sim at home. He wasn't even a pilot. He was 10. I can understand the appeal if you're not a full-time pilot. Mm-hmm. But it's a bit like, you know, being a footballer, but then playing five-a-side in your spare time as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's practice, though, isn't it? It's practice. It's actually quite good fun. But if you're doing it as a living, I don't think it's what I'd be doing. You know what I mean? I just think if I'm doing yeah, something, gotta... I don't want to be doing it in my spare time. But don't... reps in. Don't get me wrong, I've already blamed the families of the bereaved for crying. I don't want to blame the captain as well, who's you know, mm. been involved in this in this tragic misdemeanor. But he had flown this, you know, exact flight path, basically. They found the FBI van on his flight simulator, which I think is interesting. The weird thing about that is the FBI never officially came out and said that. That was just reported in 
the papers. So the FBI, I think, actually came out and said there was nothing suspicious that was found um, on his uh, mm. laptop, computer, whatever. But then it was reported in the papers that they found, like, as you say, that exact um, simulation that had been ran on his computer, among actually other simulations reportedly as well. Again, we don't really know if this is fact or not, but reportedly there was other simulations that were ran which involved him landing on islands like the British Virgin uh, Virgin Islands and uh, islands in that sort of area, which yeah. led to the conspiracy that this plane was landed on an island somewhere and that yeah. actually the people um, perhaps weren't crash landed into the sea, but instead were taken to a military base, uh, American military base or shot down by a military base, that kind of thing, because these simulations were also on uh, his uh, sim pilot sim as well. Yeah, so basically I think there was a lot of reports at the time and conspiracy centering around everything that you just outlined there. But it was a couple of years later in 2016, where it was actually a leaked FBI document. There was a genuine FBI document that detailed the flights, uh, the, the pilot's activities on his flight simulator. So when the FBI are involved and leaked documents are involved, that's when conspiracy theorists are on high alert, basically. Mm. But I mean, if, if he's just practicing, then there's nothing kind of untoward there. And obviously a lot of airports in those regions have shorter runways. So he could just have been practicing landing on short runways because that's a skill set that pilots have to develop. But it is obviously when people see that and they go, yeah, we must have been preparing to, to land you know, a real life flight there, but I'm not sure what, I mean, we'll get onto conspiracies in a, in a minute, I'm sure, but I'm not sure what the motive for that would, would necessarily be. But also, I think, imagine being a pilot, you also want a bit of a test as well, don't you? Like you're, you're yeah. in all these boring runways that are really big and easy to land on. <laughs> yeah, let's put me on a little did a little sort of island thing. Let's let's yeah. have a go on this bad boy. Let's crash land. If I'm going to crash it on, on one of these, let's do it on a sim. Let's do it yeah. now on the simulator, not in real life. Exactly. Let's get some practice in. Let's make it interesting for myself. Fed up of landing at Heathrow. Forget about that nightmare. I Let's could do that with my eyes dirt club. track. <laughs> dirt track. Come on. I could, you know, you could. I, I could probably land a plane at Heathrow. It's that big. Uh, about that. Maybe. Don't. Nobody hold me to that. But maybe. So I just think it's a case of a pilot trying to expand his skill set by landing on these remote islands whatever but if that's your idea of fun which i suppose it is if you're passionate about flying i need to pilot and fair play to him yeah I, I don't think there's anything too suspicious about that although obviously it's another avenue for people to uh you know create a conspiracy theory from um interestingly they flew six hours towards antarctica so they were in heading in that direction like yeah. that's how much they had rotated if you think about where beijing is and kuala lumpur and that yeah. uh, that direction they got the complete opposite way and fly heading towards antarctica for six hours before they ran out of fuel it seems as though um the speed of that descent towards the end of the flight was fifteen thousand foot per second which means that that had to be intentional that, that they were going down in that speed because that's five times faster than what an unassisted descent would be so oh, that was clearly an assisted ascent uh, descent and yeah. therefore it had to be somebody in control of that um, but again there's a few other factors at play here because it seems as though a lot of the electronic systems were disabled so yeah. the electronic system was disabled the cabin air pressure system was disabled and the plane climb accelerator de depressurization, uh, depressurization was also disabled just after that sharp turn. So this sounds like somebody who's trying to basically um, knock everyone out. So he's knocked everyone out of the plane at this point, so they can't really do anything to, um, to sort of try and get the plane back on track or anything like that, because it seems as though when you get rid of this pressurization in the cabin, most passengers and crew are going to be already dead before the impact. So at this point, it seems as though He's flying this plane. Everyone's already dead in the plane. 
and it's yeah. just him for six hours. Now, you do have, I think, an hour's worth of oxygen in the cockpit still, even after the depressurization happens. But I don't really know how that then enables him to fly for six hours. Six hours. And then assisted, well, oh, sorry, unassisted, I think. Oh, no, sorry, assisted, actually deliberately yeah. take it into the ground. So I don't know how that happens if there's only an hour's worth of air in the cockpit, which is supposedly how long they have. So that bit I'm a little sort of unsure on, but it certainly seems as though this was a deliberate act, if you are to believe this sort of mainstream story. Yeah, exactly. Because basically, I mean, the first port of call in looking at air, airline conspiracies or airline disasters is the mechanical fault, a bit like what happened with the Air Asia, kind of a similar case actually, Air Asia flight, I can't remember where it's flying from, but basically what happened was there was a mechanical fault, the plane went down um, at a rate similar to the descent, similar to the one that you just outlined, like virtually there was a mechanical fault and the plane nosedived into mm-hmm. the sea, basically. That's my first part of call in, in looking at these because, you know, most common, it's the most common cause of airline disasters. But for me, as I said earlier, the sharp turn, which is deliberate, and then flying for about 4,000 kilometres, six hours, is not reminiscent of a plane that has a mechanical fault. Mm. Because usually if a plane has a mechanical fault, you're not going to be able to fly for six hours after that, right? Mm-hmm. And also, uh, physicists have pointed out that the lack of debris, because they still haven't found the plane, have they? No. No. Bits and pieces, I think about 20 pieces of you know tiny debris have washed up on, on island. So the vast majority of the plane hasn't been found. And physicists have said that means that the plane must have entered the water vertically, straight yeah. down. Because if it enters the water at an angle or horizontally, the debris would just spread at that speed, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And it would be more readily found, shall we say. So this so has gone be- extremely fast into yeah. the sea like a really really fast speed vertically, yeah. almost vertically by the sounds of it so you can imagine how far down that could potentially go obviously yeah. it's going to splinter off into a different piece or whatever but even still that is going to rocket down into the ground it is going to be quite difficult to find and it's not going to splinter as much as a plane entering the sea horizontally because yeah i imagine it's something to do with the fact that if the plane was to enter the sea horizontally more of this plane surface area would be hitting, hitting the sea and getting, getting yeah, I was thinking that, probably. So for me, the idea of a plane flying for six hours and then hitting the sea vertically would suggest that it's a deliberate act. I think the accumulation of evidence is certainly in that favour, but that doesn't stop people coming forward with the various different conspiracies, obviously. Another thing I think adds to the idea that it was perhaps uh, deliberate is the fact that the flight path that was taken flies past the island of Penyang, I think is how you pronounce it. And this is the island from which the captain was from. And so people are suggesting that he flew that direction past the island as like a final goodbye before committing suicide. And so I think that sort of adds adds to the fact that, you know, if he did fly past the island that he originally came from, um, that probably suggests that, you know, there was something uh, going on there. Uh, But I do think that's interesting. Um, There's certainly lots of different theories, like you say, about what happened. Um, Ultimately, you know, if it is that everyone died, which is, I think we can pretty much confirm everyone is dead, um, then he killed everyone on board, um, although they will have died, uh, passed out and died within minutes of that depressurization happening. So I guess at least they didn't sort of, you know, experience the horrific nature of what was happening for too long. And then it would have been fairly quick, because actually, if you think about it, they wouldn't have really known what was going on, particularly unless they were aware of the the turn of the plane. So I think what would have happened is they would have passed out first, then died. So they wouldn't have actually been aware of them 
self dying, which yeah. you know is a, a small sort of positive in what is a very horrific situation. Yeah, and I referenced earlier the Air Asia airline crash, which was due to mechanical fault. And when they recovered the black box, they could hear the screams and yells from the cabin. Right. And the the captain and the co-pilot kind of fumbling as the plane was going down because they were basically going down. Could do a whole episode on that, to be fair. Basically, the plane was going down in a spiral. So it was rotating at a rate of knots and then was going was descending at a crazy, crazy rate. And you, you could hear the you know, screams or whatnot. Whereas with this, it's obviously much more passive. Kind of you, You're gradually being, the, the cabin's being depressurized. You're getting less oxygen. You're probably just going to feel a bit drowsy, a bit sleepy. And then you're going to be knocked out. And then the pilot, I don't, once again, also, there's two things I don't know. The first one you already covered is the fact that he flew six hours on an hour's oxygen in his cabin. Secondly, what about the co-pilot? Because there's a co-pilot as well. Was he in on this? Had they signed some kind of pact together? Because mm. there's also no evidence on this. 43 different transmissions of communication between both pilots and air traffic controls. Everything's completely normal and then everything's disabled was there then some kind of struggle between the the, the captain who we think is responsible for this and the co-pilot who's obviously not going to want to be complicit in this and is not obviously going to want to die so either was there a pact or was there a struggle between the co-pilot and the pilot oh, that's one question mark that i haven't seen anything any piece of research you know surrounding one thing that i wondered about that is did the did he come up with some sort of excuse to get the co-pilot to basically leave the cockpit and then shut him out yeah, that's, and then pressurize the yeah. yeah, that's one thing that I thought was a possibility because it's not as if the co-pilot never leaves the cockpit. On the last flight I was on, I actually saw one of the co-pilots come out. Now I can't remember whether that was during the flight or at the end of the flight, I'm not sure, but I yeah. did see one of them come out. So it's not as if and you can actually see like through to the pilot as he opened the door. So it's not as if that is beyond the realms of possibility. Um yeah. that he came up with some reason for them to leave the cockpit, I guess. Um, but it doesn't seem any particular evidence that there was any sort of pact. Um, right. So we sort of assume that there isn't. Um, but it is interesting that he was recently divorced, uh, was this pilot, uh, and heavily depressed, clinically depressed by the sounds of it. And there's also rumours that there was perhaps another woman involved and rumours that he may well have received a phone call just before the flight. So it sounds like his wife and his family had moved out that day or recently. Yeah, they moved out the day before. The day before. Oh, the day before. Yeah, obviously a man that's kind of bleeding. And then there was another woman on the scene. I'm not sure whether they've been having an affair, whether that was all above board, but basically it sounds like that turned sour. And the unfortunate thing about this uh, particular case is that I think it was 2015, 2016, so a year or two after, you had the German wings tragedy of the, the German pilot who crashed a plane into a, the center of a mountain in the, the Alps. They were flying from Barcelona to Dusseldorf and he purposefully flew the plane into the side of a mountain committing suicide and after that rules and regulations were brought in that stated that there has to be two people in the cockpit at all times so now on planes you have a captain and two co-pilots oh really to ensure that if one co-pilot leaves the cockpit you don't just have one captain at the it's not it's not weird is it what is it at the, at the controls and you know whatever yeah at the levers pulling the levers the, and everything the wheel this is i am a person who said that i could land a plane at heathrow <laughs> 10 minutes of this podcast and then I'm not even sure what the fuck anyway so now they, they brought those rules and regulations in a couple of years after this uh, tra particular tragedy and I think it I, I think you, you probably are right there I think that maybe the co he, the captain waited for the co-pilot to leave the cabin to go to the toilet or something like that mm -hmm. when he decided to to do it because obviously every uh, cockpit door 
since 9-11 has been reinforced with a massive sheet of metal yeah. to avoid hijackings and things like that. And obviously in this case, that's counterproductive because it's meant that the co-pilot couldn't get back into the cabin and suddenly this manically depressed pilot has got full control over the plane. I think that's probably the most so important. Nowadays, you have to find an excuse to get both the co-pilots out of the cabin. Is what you have saying. to make sure they want to cross streams in the, the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> can you just go out and just get me a Coke? And can, Are you just going to to the toilet? You know, do that maybe at the same time is what you've got to try and convince them. He's just sat there pouring glasses of water, you know, so the sound makes them want the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the same time or something like that. You've got to be more shift them out. tactical about yeah. it now. <laughs> Just imagine Shame, a waterfall. Really. I wish I was, you know, it's a waterfall. It's it's a waterfall. Yeah. It's the, the sea. Cloud. Can you hear the sound <laughs> of the sea? Oh, <laughs> that's getting me going. Not like that, not in a sexual way. But yeah, it, there is lots of uh, lots of things like that, which I think we should consider in this. I, that I think perhaps the co-pilot um, was maybe, uh, I, I don't know, duped into leaving it or maybe just left and yeah. he picked his moment or something like that. Um, but yeah, certainly that is a possibility. Uh, a few interesting things. Um that have come out since, and even actually quite recently, I think this year, a British engineer called Richard uh, Godfrey now claims he knows where the plane is, and there is due to be a new search in 2023 uh, for the plane. Yeah. And basically, he has found uh, an area, and it actually happens to be an area that was searched before previously, um, right. but he reckons that the plane might be hiding under sediments, which was um, perhaps put there by nearby volcanic activity. So he now thinks that he's got like this sort of 100 kilometer circular area where he believes the plane has crashed in this area. So it'll be interesting what happens next year because they are going to be doing that that search again along the sea floor in that area. And it could perhaps yield something. It's going to take a couple of weeks, I think. Um, But that new technology that they've developed could well be the, the key to finding more debris under the sea, which would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, there was at the time there was a, a, a British company who used their state-of-the-art wave pattern technology. It's the same one, I think. That's next. That year. The same guy. Yeah, it's going to be a new one. So I read about his company, and their their technology is based on 19th-century wave pattern technology. I don't know what that is, uh, how it's still in use today from the 19th century. I don't know, but basically, the plane's backup backup radar system let out seven pings which obviously give you a, a massive clue as to where the plane is but i'm thinking this is in 2014 so obviously the plane wasn't there i was reading this article i was thinking so this guy's come forward with his company he said I've, I've analyzed these seven pings i think i know where the plane is and it's the same guy he's been saying the same stuff for about eight years now it's one of those things where it's like well they have already searched this area didn't yeah. find anything is this just a guy who's looking for a bit of attention or... that's what i was thinking too yeah, it's a bit maybe. like when when Elon Musk tried to get involved with rescuing those Thai kids that were trapped in a cave. You know, when people jump, businessmen jump on these things. Go, I've got this amazing idea, and at the, at the time they let him come forward with the use of this wave pattern technology or whatever. And obviously, this is causing a lot of angst to the to the families at this time because they he comes forward and goes, "This technology, I've analysed the plane. Yeah, it's in the sea." And the families at this point are still thinking that the, 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 their loved ones on board could still be alive. So he's caused a lot of anguish there. He came forward. They gave him the, the space to conduct his work or whatever. And it came up with nothing. Eight years later, he's banging on saying the same stuff again. So I've got a little sympathy for him, but I hope that they do find the, the you know, the, the debris, if it will bring any closure. To the he family. made an, in- an interesting comment, which sort of made me wonder, like, is he 
a little bit leaning towards conspiracy on this. I, I'm not really 100% sure because he said, a, I think his comment was something along the lines of, I get the impression some people don't want MH370 uh, found. There could be something about the flights, perhaps the cargo that could still be in the wreckage that they don't want found. Which sounds like he's implying that perhaps the Malaysian government or whoever else, Chinese government, whatever, um, could well have something on board that flight that they either deliberately brought down or that they don't want to be found, now it's come down. Which yeah. is very sort of, I don't know, it's a weird sort of comment to make when you're one of these sort of engineers leading the search for, you know, the flight next year. It's yeah. an unusual comment to make that sort of implies that maybe he has a belief that there's something else could be at play here. Sounds to me like he's trying to shift the blame because, you know, like I said, he came forward at the time and he said, I've got this amazing technology. It might lead to a breakthrough and it didn't. And he's obviously frustrated that it didn't. And he's going, yeah, well, they don't want it to be found, do they? I think he's just trying to garner attention for himself. But I, like I said, I didn't know who he was before I did the research for this. So um, I should probably stop slagging him off. But <laughs> this time in six months when they found the plane, it's due to the, this wave man's technology. Then maybe I'll eat my words. But for now, I'm going to say he caused a lot of anguish to the families at the time, recklessly. He didn't find the plane. And then still eight years later, he's saying, yeah, I know where it is now. Well, at least yeah. it'd be good PR for him if it does happen. Yeah, that's the main thing. Um, we should probably need hobby, I think. We should probably get on to some of the alternative theories for this. Now, no, alternative okay. being alternative from the mainstream one, which is that it was a suicide, that kind of thing, which we'll get on to because there's a few things to talk about there. But let's go through some of the alternative theories first. Um, some people are saying that the uh, hidden satellite data bolsters the sort of idea that it was a cover-up by the Malaysian government. Some people are saying hijacking, um, that someone took the plane to a remote island. Yeah. Now, people are saying this could have been a a group, I think it was from... Was it from Malaysia, perhaps a group, a terrorist group in Malaysia? I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Other people saying that it, it could be um, Al Qaeda or it could have been uh, some sort of like American government that took over the plane and landed it in, in the sort of remote islands, these kind of things. They're quite outlandish ones. I mean, I guess a hijack would make some sort of sense, but you'd have to have somebody who understood what they were doing or had the ability to threaten the pilots to do what they wanted them to do. Yeah, very hard to hijack a plane these days i think it's probably always been yeah. post 9-11 well it, to be fair i've wanted to hijack a plane before coming back from holiday turn it around you know breaking <laughs> chocolate, turn it around. i'm not really i'm, I'm not really hijackers. i'm taking us back take me back <laughs> to greece don't clip that out of context <laughs> but, uh, ridiculously hard to hijack a plane today. like i said the massive sheets of metal in the cockpit door you know standing between you is probably enough deterrent anyway for any well, i'm pretty hench though okay. But I, mean? I reckon you could, yeah. I reckon you could. I'm get wearing Gym Shark for God's sake. I'm pretty hench. <laughs> Are they sponsoring the, the pod this week? They Not like yet. We're working on it. But yeah, no, it didn't stop people coming forward and saying that jihadists could be involved. I think around this time, so it's important to remember that this is when uh, ISIS were at their peak, 2014. So they were mm -hmm. running. They were trending. They were running. They were trending. They were running riot. Uh, I think Vine was still a thing as well. Mm -hmm. so, were they, were, were, they, were they on Vine? They were quite savvy with social media, weren't they? Because I remember watching a few of their videos and then kind of stopping and being like, Jesus Christ, they're quite graphic beheadings. Uh, anyway, we have veered off track. Uh, so well, no, I don't mind that. Let's talk about beheadings <laughs> for, for half an hour, if you want. What do you want to know? So they, uh, they, would, <laughs> they would line people up in the desert in orange jumpsuits. Basically, just sort of there, kind of... Uh, 
saw. Why don't you use a saw? You go for something a bit better than a saw. Pop down to B and Q, got a saw. But that was on Twitter. First thing, this stuff was on Twitter. So I mean, I'm not sure, but they were quite savvy with that, and they had their own. They released their own music and everything to recruit people. Merch, you know, all sorts. They were making paintings and all sorts. Uh, still available on Instagram. And um, calendar. They didn't have big but, calendar. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's also different theories, obviously, about um, was it hijacks and that kind of thing. Some people say it was a terrorist attack. Uh, Rupert Murdoch tweeted, the flight may be hidden in Pakistan like bin Laden, <laughs> uh, which I think, you know, a little bit different. A little bit different, Rupert. Um, what a lovely name that is. Like a bear. Rupert, Rupert the bear. He looks like quite a the individual because obviously a lot of people paint him out to be this big, evil media man who owns various media conglomerates. And you're saying and you Googled him. I Googled him and he was like 90 years old. <laughs> oh. like, look at him, he's tiny, he wears glasses. He's, you know, he's yeah, he can't see thing. properly. Uh, I don't know whether him suggesting that the plane that could be in northern Pakistan like Osama bin Laden was a sign of his deteriorating mental health as people get to that age. No, but he's tech savvy, though. He's tech savvy. you got to stay down with the young kids, haven't you? But I think he misses the point that it's a lot harder to hide a plane than it is to hide a terrorist. I've never really done either, to be honest. I wouldn't know. But some people claimed it was um, maybe hidden in Afghanistan. I think just literally throwing out countries at this point. I think what these people were doing, they get a big map of the Middle East. They've shut their eyes and throw dart at it. And go, yeah, dart on that. They're in Jordan. The plane's in Jordan. They North it. Korea. That was the no, next one. That was another one. That was another conspiracy, wasn't it? Well, it there was, was something that happened in 1969, apparently, yeah. where I think it was a that. South Korean flight got hijacked by North Koreans or something. It's nice to know that they've always been up to no good and it's not a recent phenomenon. You know, yeah, you get... I like that, though. I sort of think it's a bit yeah. saucy. Do you know what I mean? Like, why not? Hijack <laughs> plane. You get these jihadist groups, you know, flaring up everywhere. But the North Koreans have been at it since 1969, at least. That's legacy. That's heritage. That's, that's heritage. vintage. That's heritage. It's consistency, which I do right. I like consistency in people. They haven't done much since, though, because I don't think they did this. So I'm ruling them out of this. And I haven't heard them terrorising that many people. They just occasionally set off nuclear missiles, but they fire them into the ocean. So Yeah, just like over sort of South <laughs> Korean and Japanese airspace. They're like, it's miles away. That doesn't concern me. Look at me, it's just flying through the airspace. It's not no damage. It's just kind of like a grandstanding kind of, yeah, web ball. Hijack a plane and then you'll have my interest, Kim. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's... Hijack a plane or nuke somewhere. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm not interested. You Don't nuke the sea. Impossible. Yeah, I don't, know. don't kill the fish. Big fan of the fish. Um, so so we, don't, we don't think it's North Korea. Don't, no. don't reckon. There's this interesting um, passage. They don't have it in them anymore. They've lost their bottle. <laughs> They've lost the mojo. I missed um, the days of 1969. It's this... <laughs> in the summer of 69. <laughs> oh, yeah. They called the summer of 1969 the summer of love, but obviously not in, in North Korea. No. It's a shame. Um, but there's this patent theory, which is a big... It's probably one of the biggest conspiracies, actually. I've I don't seen know how it before. I missed it. I completely missed it. How have I missed this? You see, I'd seen this before um, doing the research for this, to, uh, for this today as well. I'd seen this somewhere. Basically, there was a patent approved for a semiconductor days after the disappearance. Um, and these rights were split five ways, supposedly. There's, some of this information is questionable, some of it's fact. Um, the part that's fact is that there were people from this semiconductor company on the flight. There were 20 employees from this. I think they're called, what was it, Free, free Scale Semiconductors. 
there was 20 employees on this flight. And the conspiracy is that some of these employees had rights to this uh, semiconductor patent and they split five ways. Uh, and then 20% was for the company Freescale Semiconductors and 20% to each of the, the four employees. These were all passengers on the plane. Obviously the plane goes down, goes missing, whatever. And so there was a conspiracy that that was done deliberately in order to acquire the patents to those other four passengers, uh, from those other four passengers. Where it sort of falls down a little bit is the fact that there's nothing in the contract that says the rights to this patent, once somebody dies, goes back to the company. Like, it doesn't seem like there's anything in, there's no evidence of that. So that seems like someone's made a bit of a leap there. Although it's right that those people were from that company on the plane, I'm not 100% sure about this whole patent thing and how that links in. I think people are trying to put a square peg in a circular hole. Yes. Is what I'm saying there. So I don't, don't quite know. There's there's elements of truth that's then been mixed with sort of leaps, which is generally what happens with what conspiracies. conspiracies are, yeah, as a conspiracy. Yeah. So what what happened? Do you know? There was a there was a patent registered a couple of days after the the, the incident. Did the company then have 100? Did they acquire? Did the company acquire? The dead people's shares. Well, this is the thing, because you wouldn't have thought that's how it works. I mean, it obviously depends on the individual contract, but you would have thought that didn't get passed on to the next in the sort of next kin or whatever they say. Yeah, like, next of kin, yeah. Yeah, next of king. You would have thought that's how it would work, but I don't really know. Like I'm not sure. And it's probably difficult to delve into it too much more than that. You can probably see that a patent's been submitted, but I don't imagine you'll be able to see like what was in the contract or anything. It just seems like people are sort of looking for things to sort of attach, I think. Who's go- combing through the de- data of passengers and going oh so they were from the same company and they're then doing a deep dive into that it's quite interesting that there are people with that much time on their hands but i don't know whether it's some kind of automatic process after these people have died and so they've got these passengers have got 80 percent of this patent right mm-hmm. and they've died it just seems like a a natural thing after they've gone missing on this flight for a patent to be re-registered you know as mm-hmm. it was the days after because they've gone missing so mm-hmm. i'm not sure that that's you know particularly unusual but i don't know how that works and i don't know whether the company acquired the their the passengers 80 percent of the, the patent or whatever and then had 100 percent. i'm not sure but it seems natural that after they've gone missing there would need to be some kind of corporate restructuring wouldn't there yeah you would have thought so it does seem a little bit of a leap like the sort of thing that is cooked up by conspiracy theorists generally uh, but it is one of the most prominent uh conspiracies is the whole sort of patent theory of there was, um, I don't know if it was a, I don't know if this is a Chinese company. I actually think they're from Austin. I think I read. I'm pretty sure they're from Austin, right. but maybe are a global company. Um, but there is therefore some theory that basically it was shot down or deliberately brought down in order to obtain the full patent to the semiconductor technology, which is quite important technology. It's now used in electric cars. Semiconductors at the moment are in really short supply and they're struggling to make enough to keep up with demand. Right. So they're they're quite heavily sought after nowadays. I'm not so sure it's necessarily the case back in 2014. I'm sure. That- there are more efficient ways of assassinating individuals and shooting down a plane full of poison po- when they're in the canteen <laughs> they've got a poison in Do you know what i mean like why are you bringing down an entire plane of 228 people yeah a bit much very very criminal activity as opposed to marginally criminal activities you would exactly that's how the russians do it isn't it novichok and all that and i'd say it's yeah. probably when it comes to if if the chinese have done this i'd say i'm much more in favor of the russian method of uh of killing people, assassinating people. So yeah, I don't, they, the, the patents are not that, it's very, if I'm conducting a, a cost benefit analysis, it's a very costly kind of exercise for a semiconductor patent. I'm not, 
that that falls it's not down. A, it's not a great business move, is it, to get rid of twenty employees for the sake of a patent? Do you know what I mean? And as well as the other two hundred people on the plane, yeah, it's not a great business move. Passenger jet is yeah. Like, I'm going to go for a no with that one. Well, I think that free scale semiconductors might have access to missiles, so I think this could be very plausible because they make semiconductors which are you know put in electric cars. Therefore, they even they can build missiles. Where are they going to file the missile from? They're going to file from what, Malaysia the headquarters. Obviously. Where's that in Austin? In wherever. We don't even know. No, you're looking into the details too much. This is a conspiracy theory. Yeah, I wish I could Stop believe. asking questions. I oh. find it, wouldn't they? It moves swiftly moving on to the next one. I think we'll bin that one. You read about this island, this Diego Garcia place. Did you stumble across that? It sounds like yeah. football, first and foremost. Let's get it out of the way. He plays up front for Man City. Sure. Mm-hmm. So this is a US base. Which is, it's, it's, it crops up in conspiracy theories all the time. Aliens, alien lovers love it. Get over mm-hmm. them. Wow. And it's, it's owned by the UK, but we've let the US put a base on there. Something like that. Isn't it? It's in the Southern Indian, Southern Indian Ocean. And because of the planes, westward turn off course and then flying 4,000 kilometres southwards in the, across the Indian Ocean, a lot of people kind of try to connect the dots here and go, hey, there's a US base somewhere around there, you know, only a few thousand kilometres away or whatever. And because we've already mentioned the captain was completing landing exercises and short runways and Diego Garcia is an island that's quite small and has a short runway, people were once again connecting the dots, you know, adding two and two, maybe getting five in this case, I think. But I don't see... The logic. What would the Americans want with the plane? I'm not sure. Unless they want the patent. Yes, <laughs> this maybe. Sort of the patent. Maybe, so. maybe they wanted the semiconductors. Uh, who that. knows? But yeah, there is that theory yeah, that was captured okay. by the Americans and flown to this base. What they then did with the people, who knows? There is a theory, and this is how wild these conspiracies get, that the plane was flown to this American base and then these passengers were taken off four months later were then put onto that plane that went down over the Ukraine or it was the same plane. So there's like, there's different conspiracies going on. It's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? It's coincidental, but coincidences do occur from time to time. I always, with, with conspiracies, I like to see motive and logic. And for me, in this case, once again, I don't know what the Americans would want with these people besides this pattern. I don't know what they want with that, to be honest with you, probably got their own. So I'm not sure. What I do love, though, is that the FBI come out disputing everything as if it's like marking your own homework. Mm. What you're going to say, the Americans aren't involved, I suppose. Yeah, that's that's obviously that's that's the line they're going to take. And this is the thing. We know that the official stories that these government organisations come out with are not always true. We know that because yeah. they they lie all the time. It was protect national security. It's for national security. No, it's yeah. cover your own backs. That's that's called how it is. But. There is a sometimes a line where you've got to go, right, okay, yeah, but this seems a little bit too far-fetched. We get the American government have done lots of horrible things. I think we can all agree on that if you look at the history, even to their own people in some cases. Um, but I do think this is a bit too much of a leap. I do understand it's a hell of a coincidence that two Malaysia Airlines flights uh, went down in the space of four months. So even have one happen in a year would be, you know, against the, the stats. You know, it's like a one in a one in one billion chance of a commercial plane uh, crashing. The fact that two happen in, in four months does seem very unlikely. There are interesting accounts, though, from islanders in the Maldives and these remote islands. Yeah. Who did spot a plane. Now, these are people that don't, they're not au fait with air travel. And they described the plane. And uh, it was there, it was white. 
with like red and blue lines on it. And now that is what a Malaysian Airlines plane looks like. So I found that particularly interesting because that was, these accounts were taken from the morning of uh, when, the, when the plane went missing. Now it's not necessarily a conspiracy to say that the plane flew over the island at a low altitude, which is what they're saying. Probably fairly consistent with the idea of the plane being taken off track purposefully and then nosedived into the ocean. But of course, with the Maldives being so close to Diego Garcia and with Diego Garcia being kind of like a favourite of conspiracy theorists, not just in this case, but in other conspiracies as well, because there's a US base there. People, once again, are putting two and two together and going, there's something in that. But I think that that maybe just adds to, I think, the the conclusion that me and you would come to, that it was taken off course by a suicidal pilot. Yeah, well, I don't know exactly where about the Mal- whereabouts the Maldives is. It is in the South Indian Ocean, isn't it? Yeah. So it is in that rough line of sight of where he would have travelled. It sort of yeah. depends. Yeah, yeah. It is, I guess, in that sort of direction. So, I mean, that does make sense. There are several people, like you say, that several separate residents that said they saw this. So I think we can pretty much take it as highly likely that they flew in that direction, which sort of rules out some of the other possibilities. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that that happened. And it was a very low flying jumbo jet, like nothing they'd seen before. And it matched the description, as you say. So it is interesting um, that that is the case. I think pretty much confirms that it was, you know, being flown at low levels. As for what our general beliefs of this are, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a fairly s- a simple one. I mean, there's different conspiracies about black holes, aliens, meteorite hitting it, um, accidentally ran out of oxygen, lots of different things. But I think we've pretty much both come to the same conclusion on this one. Yeah, I think to please all the conspiracy theorists out there and the people with rational thought, I might, you know, finalising my judgment in saying that the suicidal pilot took the plane off course, accidentally flew over Diego Garcia. The Americans shot it down, freeing up the patents mm-hmm. for the Chinese company or whoever they were, the American company. with And then aliens China. came in and took them instead. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going for it. And then the UFOs came down, took the 227 passengers off to Mars. Full stop. Yeah, and they were hit by a meteorite as they tried to escape. <laughs> and then fell into a black hole. Yeah, that's yeah. what happened officially. Um, but no, I, I do people think... People say I'm a people pleaser. I do think it's a pretty clear-cut one, this, um, yeah. that the guy seems to be heavily depressed. The only thing that I think is a little bit unusual, although, again, it's difficult if you're in a suicidal state of mind, is why would you kill all the passengers and your crew as well? That's the only bit where I'm a bit like... God, that's that's quite a big thing to do. Not just killing yourself here, but you're killing 240 people, I think it was, in total. Yeah, happened a couple of uh, years later, though, didn't it, with the German Wings flight that talks about uh, Andreas Liebitz, as a pilot, did exactly the same thing, well, exactly the same thing. He just veered, of course, slightly into the side of a, of a mountain, and it's obviously a very, very... You have to be in a very, very dark and, and twisted kind of mindset to do that and subjects all the the passengers and their families to that kind of grieving but I think that that's what happened here unfortunately I can't think of any other kind of reason for that the aircraft documentary that I watched about the Air Asia flight where they were at 20,000 feet and then suddenly nosedived and were spiraling and they did a reconstruction of that and it genuinely horrifying this is obviously more placid kind of decompression of the cabin type thing which is you you still die but it you just drowsy and in fact no maybe streamers breathe there aren't you so maybe maybe a bit of panic there but the air asia flight was no not for me it scared it scared me that yeah i mean i don't fancy dying at all on a plane really, in an ideal world but basically not in that way and also the oxygen masks won't have worked as well because 
all that tech would have been turned off and disabled. Scary to think that the pilot has such an amount of control over that, though. You would think that that would be an automated thing. It shouldn't be controlling the oxygen flow in the cabin. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it does sound like that. It's quite a lengthy process that you have to go through, which is one of the reasons why people are a little bit suspicious of that, because it's not just like you flick a switch and it all goes off, do you know what I mean? Because then you could knock it or whatever. You've got to do several different things by the sounds of it and yeah. probably set in. You would have thought that would maybe alert air traffic control as well. You would have thought there'd be some sort of alert when someone does that. I mean, it's got to be quite a difficult thing to do mid-flight to turn yeah. off that and disable that. It just seemed like the actions of somebody that wanted to die. Did pretty much everything in the rule book, didn't he? he did, and then died, so yeah. Well, disappeared. Still, still not being fair. <laughs> not yet. I mean, there's a search next year. We'll see what the search brings up, I guess.